Back in 2001, I had the opportunity to lead my very first mission trip into East Asia. Now this was the first time that I'd had the opportunity to lead a group of people thousands of miles across the world being responsible for every bit of the planning, all of their well-being. I was responsible for everything dealing with that trip. And uh, we were going thousands of miles away. None of us spoke the language. There was about eight people that were dependent upon me making the arrangements and getting everything right. And when you're responsible for that kind of endeavor, you feel the weight of that responsibility. And so I found myself checking again and again the reservations, checking again and again the accommodations, making sure that everything worked out just right. And so it came time for us to go on the trip. I had everything done done the way it was supposed to be done. I had checked everything once, twice, three times, multiple times over. We were ready to go. We got on our first leg of the massive amount of travel that it takes to get into East Asia, about 26 or 28 hours, multiple flights. We get on our first leg from Texas to Los Angeles. We arrive at LAX and we have a layover there because the flight into East Asia doesn't depart until the middle of the night. And so we're waiting to get ready for that. We're having conversation. We're eating together. And all the while, I find myself checking and rechecking everything to make sure we're ready to go. Well, it comes time to gather the group up and go up to the ticket counter and actually get our boarding passes for the long flight from LAX over into East Asia. I gather the passports together, I walk up to the counter, and I give to the person behind the counter all the passports representing the travelers. And I proceed to wait. The person behind the counter begins to work through the passports, typing the things into the computer, and I continue to wait. And I wait. And I wait. Sweat begins to break out on my forehead. I begin to get nervous, and then I hear these words. We do not have any of these individuals in reserved seats on this flight. Okay, well, get them reserved seats. Seems pretty easy. We have no seats available. Okay, well, when's the next flight? In 24 hours. Wait a minute. Okay, up until that moment, I believed in the sovereignty of God. <laughs> I, I, I felt like he was orchestrating our trip. But that very moment, I began to wonder, God, where are you? In fact, I began to think, how can I right now lead this group to follow Christ when I'm about to do some things that don't look like Christ? <laughs> I mean, I was nervous. Now, fortunately, they were able to accommodate us and figure out ways to fit us in, and we all got on that flight. But there's been residual effect in my life. Every time I have to plan a trip, I am obsessive compulsive about making sure that everything is right. I tell you that because nobody likes uncertainty, especially about the things that matter. In fact, the things that matter most are the things about which we want to be most certain. What could matter most? What could matter more than eternal life? Let's look at 1 John chapter 2. We're going to read verses 1 through 6. We're going to work through each 
sentence, each verse, each passage together. So read a little bit, talk a little bit. Read a little bit, talk a little bit. So that we make sure we understand exactly what Christ is telling us. 1 John chapter 2, starting in verse 1. My little children, I write these things to you so that you may not sin. John begins this address in chapter 2 saying, my little children. He's wanting the reader to know he cares about them. He feels compassion for them. He wants them to move forward in their faith in Christ. And says, my little children, here's what I want for you. I want you to no longer continue in sin. John is expressing the very sentiments of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ wants us to leave our sin behind. You remember the end of chapter 1? We are told to not act like or pretend we don't have sin, but to just confess the sin we have. And if we confess the sin that we have done in our lives to God, that God is faithful and just to forgive us all our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness, that the first step into the light of God is simply confessing my sin to God and in his forgiveness I experience the cleansing of my sin. And the next thing that Jesus wants us to know is that the very sins you have confessed, the very sins you've been cleansed of completely are the very sins that Jesus wants us to leave behind. He wants us to leave our sin behind. Read the rest of the verse with me. And if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous one. And he is our propitiation for our sin, not only ours, but also for the whole world. When Lindley and I were married years ago, I remember our first major argument together in the context of marriage. Here's one of the things that made it challenging. In the family that I grew up in, when we got into emotional conflict, the way our family dealt with that was that the loudest person usually won, <laughs> right? It was very unhealthy, but that's the way we did things. Lindley's family did things the opposite. There were not voices raised. There were not things said that were unkind in the moment. This was very different. So when we got into our first argument in the context of marriage, I'll never forget these words she said to me. I've never had anyone speak to me like you speak to me. Unfortunately, it wasn't because of kindness. I was mean. Those words stuck with me, and I confessed my sin, and I left my sin behind. 
And since that moment, I have never again been unkind to Lindley. I wish. I wish that were true. I mean, I want that to be true. You know? I mean, aren't we all like that? We, when we confess our sin, don't we all want to leave that sin behind? But our experience is we rarely ever leave behind the sin to the degree that we wanted to. We don't leave behind the sin like we know we should. We confess the sin and Christ is faithful to cleanse us from that sin so that we are forgiven. And he wants us to leave that sin behind. But we know that when we try to leave that sin behind, we didn't leave behind as much as we want. And so we have a problem. Have you ever been in a large gathering of people, been hanging out together and having all these conversations, really in the mix of conversation? You know you've been face-to-face with a lot of people, up close and personal, a lot of that kind of stuff, bouncing around with people. And you decide to take a little break from the action and you walk to the restroom and you walk into the restroom and the first thing you do in the restroom is you look in the mirror, check yourself out. And when you look in the mirror, you smile, see what people have been seeing, and you recognize that right in between your two front teeth is this large piece of food. That ever happened to you? Or maybe something's hanging off your nose that shouldn't be there? <laughs> and the first thought is, how long has that been there? And then your second thought is, how many people saw that? And then you think, why did nobody tell me? You get ticked off at all those people you thought were your friends. You ever been there? We all have a problem. And I am grateful that Jesus Christ cares enough to tell us our problem. We all sin. And when we confess our sin, he's faithful to cleanse us of our sin. And he wants us to leave our sin behind. And as we try to leave our sin behind, we recognize we've not left behind as much as we really wanted to. But Jesus Christ is our solution. We can't fix that problem on our own. We cannot fix the problem of our sin on our own. And so when we sin, we realize we didn't leave it all behind. We have an advocate, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He is our propitiation. Jesus Christ is righteous. He is perfect in all that he does and all that he says. He is holy and righteous. He is the righteous one and Jesus Christ stands. This is the image of Jesus standing before God the Father in the heavenly courtroom and he is standing as a defender, a defense lawyer defending us on our behalf, our advocate before God the Father. And he is there as the righteous one who cannot lie and will only speak what is right and true. The problem is, we can't be defended. Because we don't ever leave 
enough sin behind to be able to stand before God the Father and say, I don't need an advocate. I'm great. I'm doing wonderful and I can stand before you and say I'm good. We never are in the place where we can stand before God the Father in our righteousness and be okay. And Jesus, because he only speaks what is true, when he stands before God the Father to defend us, he cannot defend what we've done. But praise God, he is righteous. And he can defend what he has done for us. Jesus Christ, the righteous one, gave himself on the cross for our sin. So that when we place our faith in Christ, we receive his righteousness. And the experience we have in receiving his righteousness is that he extinguishes the guilt of our sin. He completely eradicates the guilt of our sin. It's gone. We're no longer guilty. And then he absorbs the wrath of God for our sin so that nothing is left towards us but the favor of God. So God has Christ standing before him in the courtroom of heaven and Christ is our defender and he does not defend what we have done, he defends what he has done on our behalf. And as a result of defending what he has done on our behalf, the only thing that is left that extends to us is the unbelievable favor of God. So, I have confessed my sins, been cleansed of righteousness, and in the favor of Christ's advocacy, I seek to leave my sin behind. And where I discover I've not left as much behind as what I wanted to leave behind, I recognize I'm living under the advocacy of Christ so that what's extended to me is the favor of God, so that I might continue to strive to leave more and more sin behind and change the trajectory of my life. You see it? Look at verse 3. And in this... We are knowing certainty. You hear the certainty there? In this, we are knowing that we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. Jesus Christ wants us to leave the sin we confess behind. And he wants us to change the trajectory of our lives under the favor of his advocacy and keep his commands so that we are certain that we have come to know him. Have you thought about keeping the commandments of God? When you think about the Bible being full of the commandments of God, it's a little bit daunting to think, what are the commands of God? 
I am grateful that Jesus Christ boiled down all the commands of God into two simple statements. Love God. Love people. Those are the commands of God. To love God and love people. Now certainly there are a lot of details surrounding those commands. There's a a lot to keeping the commands that are boiled down to the two statements, love God, love people. When you think about the details of our lives, the relationships we have, the circumstances in which we live, and what does it look like to keep the commands of God in all of the variety of each of our lives, and how do we figure all that out? It can be a little bit daunting, but here's the thing. God has boiled it down to the simple understanding of here's what it means. Love God, love people. And he's invited us in to the advocacy of Christ so that we might turn away from sin, leaving sin behind, and change the trajectory of our lives to keeping the commands. You know the simple way of thinking about keeping the commands to love God, love people? It all begins with confession of sin. Taking the first step into the light and deciding to leave sin behind and pursue, pursue keeping the commands love God. You know, the easiest way to pursue keeping the commands love God is to, to spend time reading his word. To create a pattern in your life of reading the Bible. Regularly and consistently hearing what Jesus says about himself. And reading the word of God in the context of prayer. Conversing with God about what he says. About who he is. and Saying Lord I want to leave behind the things that are in my life that don't align with you. And I want to pursue the things in my life that do align with what you're saying about who you are. I want to spend time in your word. I want to pray. I want to spend time worshiping you. Surrendering my life to a different trajectory. Keeping the command. A couple years ago, I decided that I wanted to be a beekeeper. I made the decision, I am going to be a beekeeper. Now, at that moment when I made the decision, I didn't have any bees. I, I didn't know anything about beekeeping except you hopefully get honey. So I decided I wanted to be a beekeeper. Now, here I am a couple years later. If I stood before you today and I said, I am a beekeeper. And you said to me, do you have any bees? And I said, well, no, not yet. You'd be like, nah, you're not really a beekeeper. Right? But when I started in the decision of being a beekeeper, I made a decision to leave behind a life that didn't include bees. And I bought bees. And I put those bees in a hive And I said to those bees, I am now your keeper. And they suffered greatly. (laughs) Because I had no idea what I was doing. It was a disastrous first year. And I think that they regretted deeply that I decided to become a beekeeper. I had no idea what I was doing. But I decided that I wanted to change the trajectory of my life. 
and I just kept leaving behind the things I discovered didn't work, the mistakes that I made, the errors in judgment, the devastating consequences of the bees dying. I, I left those things behind and I just kept pursuing more and more of what it meant to be a beekeeper. I read books and I learned things and I had experiences around people that knew more about it than I did. And I began to keep learning and growing all because I had changed the trajectory of my life. Now here I am two years later and guess what? If you come to my house, you're not going to see one hive. You're going to see multiple hives. I've had many experiences throughout these two years. And now if you came to my house, I'd show you in about... 10 seconds, what it's like to be a beekeeper. And you would say, huh, I didn't know you were a beekeeper because the evidence would be there. The trajectory of my life has changed. I know that I'm a beekeeper. Every morning, I taste honey. I know. In this we are knowing that we have come to know him. We keep his commands. We decide out of the forgiveness of Christ that he has changed the trajectory of our lives. And we keep leaving behind the things that are not associated with following Christ and we keep putting into our lives Loving him and loving people. Look at verse 4. The one who says that I have come to know him and does not keep his commands, he is a liar. And in this one, the truth is not. When what's on the outside does not match what comes out of somebody's mouth, you know something is wrong. Some of you here today believe I lost a bet. <laughs> if you're new here this morning, you will uh, quickly come to understand I am an Aggie through and through. What happened? I will do anything and everything for the kingdom of God. When what's on the outside doesn't match what comes out of your mouth, everyone knows something is wrong. Right? If you claim to know him, But the trajectory of your life has not changed. You're not trying to leave more and more sin behind because you know that he has a plan for you to keep more and more of his commandments. Because in keeping more and more of his commandments, love God, love people, you come to know that you know him. If, if you say that you know him, but what's on the outside doesn't look like that, something is wrong. And the first step 
into the light for you is confession. Isn't that marvelous? That God doesn't say to you, something's wrong with you. He says, something is wrong with you. Take your first step by agreeing with me about what's wrong with you. And I'll introduce you to walking in the light in a way that changes the rest of your life. If, if you change your trajectory under the advocacy of Jesus Christ, something absolutely amazing can happen. Look at verse 5. Whoever keeps his word, truly in this one, the love of God has been perfected. In this we are knowing, we are certain that we are in him. If someone keeps his commandments, you know what happens? In that striving to leave sin behind, change the trajectory of your life, and become a commandment keeper, being shaped under the advocacy of Jesus Christ, as you decide to do that for the rest of your life, there are moments in that pursuit where the love of God is so perfected in your heart that you know that you know you are in Him. I don't know how to explain it. I don't know how to convince you. But this is the promise of Jesus Christ. If you align your life with him again and again and again, leaving sin behind, recognizing you've not left as much behind as you wanted to, living under the advocacy of Christ, that he is your defender and the favor of God is for you so that you can keep on leaving sin behind and aligning your life with who he is and what he says, you will experience his love perfected in your heart, you'll know that you are in him. It's a complicated subject, but it's one that every person in this room understands completely. I'm a dad. I got three kids that I love. And I want my kiddos to experience my love. Now, there's no doubt when my kids misbehaved when they were little, that they experienced my love in my discipline. But you know what we said to our kids, right? This hurts me more than it hurts you. They never believed us till they get kids and then they realize. Now, why did we say that? Because because we did not want our children to experience our love in discipline, right? We wanted our children to experience our love through aligning their hearts and lives with the trajectory of our hearts and lives. You know that when your kids lined up with your values and your habits and your routines as a family and they were respectful and honoring of you, that there was something special that happened in the family and in your relationship with them and you longed as a parent for your kids to know your love in the best possible way and it happened when they were lined up with you, right? God wants you to experience the perfection of his love and it is not experienced in forgiveness. That's good. But the perfecting of his love in your heart 
is experienced when you leave sin behind and you experience the advocacy of Christ that changes your life forever. That is when you know that you know. Look at verse 6. The one who says he abides in him ought in the same way walk just as that one walked. That is the greatest gift God could give us. That we could walk in the riches of the path that Jesus walked knowing him. Can you imagine what it would be like today if at the end of the service I said, hey, underneath uh, the pew today, um, somewhere in the worship center is a golden ticket. And I want you to look underneath your pew and one of you is going to find the golden ticket. And when you find the golden ticket, here's what's going to happen. You're going to get to leave the worship service today. You're going to go back to the prayer chapel, in the prayer chapel under the big bell tower. Um, In the prayer chapel, we've got stacks of $100 bills. We've got stacks of gold bars. We've got bags full of diamonds and jewels. we got absolutely mounds of stock certificates worth millions and millions of dollars. And here's the deal. We're going to walk back there as soon as service is over, and you're going to get to walk into that prayer chapel and grab as much of that as you can carry out of there. And the moment you walk out of there, what you walk out of there is what you get. Well, I can tell you what would happen. A lot of us would stick around after the service just to go watch this thing happen. We'd be gathered around outside the door, and I'd walk back there with that person with the golden ticket, and I'd walk in the, the prayer chapel with them, and I'd close the door, and I'd say, now, you need to take your time, take all the time you need, pick what you want, but just don't forget, once you walk out of here, it's over. What you left with is what you get. That's the end of the deal. And so after I explain the situation, I have my hands in my pocket, I'm fixing to leave, and I turn around to open the door, I pull my hand out of my pocket, and I drop a penny on the ground. And I'm walking outside the prayer chapel, they pick the penny up, and they say, hey, you left your penny. They walk through the threshold to give me their penny, and everybody gasps. Oh, no. How tragic. Please, do not allow the distractions the moments in your life rob you from the riches you are offered. If you say you abide in him, then walk with him. Where are you headed? Are you headed after Jesus Christ? Are you walking with him? Let's just say that the person that gets the golden ticket walks out of there with everything they could, they could carry. If we were standing around that door and watched them come out with all those riches, I suspect many of us would be wondering, I wonder if he's going to share any of that with me. Please, as you increasingly know Christ, And the riches of his favor. Never forget that Jesus did not just die for you. He died for the whole world. And the world needs to hear from those who know that they know him.